This is something I've been wanting to get through to, for weeks. So other things we've been kind of building up to this. We've been talking about Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We've looked at why it's important to understand faith, because we're, we're, we're saved by faith. The just shall live by faith. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Everything that we receive from God, and not everything, because there's some things God just supernaturally gives to us. But by and large, the things that we've received from God, we receive by faith. So there's provision. God has made abundant provision for everything that you need, spirit, soul, and body, but that's received by faith. There are times God will do something supernatural where He'll just bless you or do something that you haven't even asked Him for, but by and large, we receive things from God by faith. And so it's important to know what faith is because otherwise what happens is we think we're operating in faith and discover many times, many times we don't discover it, we just get frustrated because it's not working. But God is true to His Word. God's Word works. God is faithful to do what He said He'll do. So if it's not working, there's either a problem with my understanding of what I'm trusting God for, or somehow there's a misconnection on my end, but there's not problems never on God's end. And so we're looking at what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some things that faith is not, because many times we think we're doing, we're doing these things thinking it's faith when it's not faith. The first one we look to is faith is not hope. Hope is something different from faith. That's why faith adds substance to your hope. If faith and hope were the same thing, you wouldn't need to add substance to it because hope would be the same thing as faith. And yet we've discovered hope is important. Hope is the future. It's the thermostat that says, I want the temperature down. I want the, t- I want the air conditioning on. I want it down to a nice, comfortable, you know, 72 or 74. And so you turn the air conditioning thermostat down, which triggers the unit outside your house to go on, the condensers to go on, to bring the air down. The power is not in the thermostat. The power is in the air conditioning or in the wintertime. It's in your furnace. But the thermostat tells the furnace or the air conditioner where you want to get the temperature to. So you need both of them, but they're not the same thing. Then last week we looked at something else faith is not that it often gets confused for. We discovered that there's a thing called mental, mental mind, assent or agreement. You can understand a principle in the Bible and you can agree with it and yet not be in faith. There are many theologians out there that understand what God's Word says about salvation, but they're not saved. They see what it says, and they agree that's what it says. But the Bible doesn't say it's by agreeing with God. It says it's by faith. And faith is something different. We went over that. We're not going to take the time to go over that again. So we're going to look at a third thing that faith is not. But on the other, the other side of this is, I want to show you part of what it is. I don't get confused yet at this point. All right? Let's just start reading Scripture. Very well-known verse. Verse 21, James 1, 21. 
Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow or excess of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's what you're doing now. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word save means more than just getting to heaven. It means the total redemption. Verse 22. But be do it. So we receive the implanted word, but that's not enough. Then he goes on and says, verse 22, but be doers of the word. That's the word that you've received. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So it's possible to hear the word and receive it, but not be a doer of it. And this is the crucial step. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So he's using this natural example of, if you look in the mirror, and you see what you look like, and then you walk away, and you don't look back in that mirror for a while, because that's the only way you know what you look like, you'll forget what you look like. How many of you have had people that you've known in your life and you, you know, may have gone to school with them and they were close friends and you haven't seen them for 20 years or whatever and you have trouble picturing their face? Why? Because you haven't seen them recently. You live with an image of them and that image begins to fade over time. And the same is true with the Word of God. You can hear, the, I, I know you've all had this experience where you've come to church or you've listened to a CD or something and, and it spoke right to your heart and, and it, it brought life to you and you saw an answer and you got excited and you walked out and you said, what a great service, it met my need and by Wednesday you don't even remember what it was. And yet the Spirit of God was showing you an answer for your life. And what he's saying here, James is saying here, is it's not enough to hear the word. The word of God has the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. The word of God is the power of God unto, it's the power of God unto salvation. Not just to save you from hell and get you into heaven. All that God has provided for you, the power to bring that into your life is in the word. And when you receive that word and it's implanted in you, it's a seed. Matthew 13 tells you, Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed was sown. The power of God is that word of God sown into your heart. But he says there's a very different result, same seed, but very different result in the different with, by the different where that seed was sown. And the difference was the heart, the condition of the soil in which it was sown. Some produced nothing. It was just taken away immediately. Some grew up quickly, but it was once any pressure, any heat came, it was scorched and it dried up. The pressure of persecution, the pressure of life bore down on the word that was planted in you and it, it just you, you lost track with it. it. So it produced no good in you. Then there's other seed that began to grow up and Jesus talks about that and he says, what happens is it's growing, but because we've allowed other things to grow, the cares of this life, it begins to choke it off and although it's there, it's not producing any fruit. And then the last type, of course, is the best type, which is produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. And in each case, the difference was the condition of the heart, the openness of the heart, the receptiveness of the heart in which the seed is planted. Notice he said here, receive with meekness. 
the implanted word. Meekness is the opposite of pride. Meekness is the attitude was, I know how much I need the word. I know that I don't have the answers. I know that in myself I can't do it. Sometimes, you know, we have trouble receiving from God. Sometimes we have trouble receiving the word of God because we still have a little bit of this, I got myself into this, I'm going to get myself out of it. And God will just sit back and say, okay, hot shot, take a shot at it. Go ahead, let's see what you can do. And when you finally get to the point where you've run out and you cry out to me for help, now you're in a position where I can help you, where my word can begin. Ever, ever hear something and say, wow, that was so meaningful, and you realize you've heard the same thing before, but it wasn't as meaningful. Because you're now in a place where you know you needed that. Whereas last year when you heard the same message, it was, well, that's good for my wife. She needs it. <laughs> now I'll look around. But it's being, it, and so the, the example here is saying you receive the word, but it's when you not just receive it, but then you begin to act on it that now he says that's when it begins to work in your life. Go over to chapter 2. Verse 14. He's talking about faith here. <coughs> Excuse me. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, Martin Luther wasn't even sure this book should have been in the Bible because he's the one that God revealed to and brought back into the church the doctrine of, of we're saved by faith and not by our works. So don't get confused here. James is bringing balance to something, but I want, we'll go to, we'll, I'll walk you through this. You'll be all right. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, if you just give him your word and say, We'll love you, we're believing God with you, we're believing God's going to bring you out of this, and you have in your power the ability to deliver them, your words don't mean anything if you have the ability to bring them out of it and you don't give them what you have. In other words, you don't act on what you're saying. Let's put it this way. You know, that words are cheap. It's action that proves what you really believe. And that's our point tonight. He's going to go on and explain that. So in the natural, we understand that just to say to someone, be blessed. And it's so easy to say words. It's another thing to dig down in your wallet and give what's needed. I had a situation with a relative lately that had a need of us to spend, to devote a little bit of time to them. And, and I didn't, you know, it was not convenient. And so my thinking was, well, how do I handle this in such a way so I can get back to what I think is important? And then God began to deal with me and say, this is what's important. So you may have to do something that's not convenient for you. We talked about the fact, in fact, Lafayette Scales, when he was here in April, pointed out that out of Jesus' miracles, the vast majority, I think 38 out of 40 miracles, recorded miracles, were all done at times which were inconvenient. They were interruptions in his normal schedule. We forget he's God. So he's got the right to say, I want you to overhear not where you want to be today. I've got the right to have you tell you do this, not what you think is important today. 
And so I had to deal with, I'd realize that I had to deal with this, that it was, it was, you know, I had my own thing worked out and my own resources and time and available, da, 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 da. And suddenly this opportunity is here to minister to somebody that's going to take more than I had planned to give, not just financially, but of my time and energy. And once I saw the need, of course, I was willing to do it. But saying, you know, God's going to take care of you, God, and when I have the ability to solve that problem, my words don't mean anything if I don't act based on those words. And that's James's point here. Well, let's read on because it gets clearer. So in the same way, that's an example. In the same way, verse 17 says, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, he's not talking about we're saved and get to heaven by our good deeds. That's clearly not what he's talking about because the Bible is one consistent message. And we talked about this last week a little bit. The entire book of Romans, the entire book of Galatians, and most of the book of Hebrews is devoted to the principle that we're saved by faith, not by our good works. But James's point here is if it is true, real faith there'll be some tangible evidence of your salvation because you'll begin to act like he does. It's like two sides of the same coin. What we try to say, well, is it heads or is it tails? You can't separate heads and tails because to do it, you've got to divide the coin. What comes first is we're saved by faith, not by our good works. In fact, Ephesians 2 makes it very clear. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship saved unto good works for the purpose of performing. In other words, really simple. When you've received His Word, when you've received Christ by faith and the Spirit of God comes inside of you, He births God's nature in you. Therefore, if God's nature has been birthed in me, I ought to begin to act somewhat like him. So, in other words, I've seen it rendered this way. Faith without corresponding good at works, works that are evidence of my faith, then I don't really have that faith. If there's not some tangible evidence of it, then there's a question whether or not I really have it. He goes on and makes it even clearer. Hang with me. This will be fine. I'll put you back together again. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And his answer to that is, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You show me your faith without any tangible evidence. And I'll show you what my faith is like by the way I live my life. See, the way you live your life is a reflection of what you believe. What you do is a direct reflection of what you believe. I can tell one thing that all of you have in common tonight that you all believe you all believe that that blue chair you're sitting in would hold you. 
And the reason I know you believe it is you acted on what you believed and you sat in that chair. And that's what he's saying here. If you can say to me, I have this faith, but I don't need to show you any evidence of it, I'll show you what my face like by the way I live my life, by the way I conduct myself. All right. Everybody with me so far? Say yes anyway. (laughs) Now look at this. This is where I want to get to. You believe that there's one God, and you do well. Look at this. But the demons believe it. And they tremble. And here's the third thing that faith is not. Faith is not belief. Now, if you study the words out, they're very close. But in the principle of the Bible, you can believe something and not be in faith. Here's proof of it. The angel, the demons believe there's one God. And they even tremble at him. Do you? Isaiah said that if we really fear the Lord, we'll tremble at his word. I don't mean to be afraid of him, but his word will have such an authority to us because of who he is and his authority that the thought of not obeying his word would cause us to tremble. That's the evidence that we're really fear the Lord. Not afraid of Him, but a true reverence in Him. The the measure of our reverence for God is what do we do with His Word. Jesus says that's the measure of our love for Him. He says, y'all know you love me by whether you keep my commandments. It's the same thing. I can tell what's in your heart by what you do, not what you say. Same principle. So here we see it's possible for angels, for demons, to believe in God, and yet they're not in faith. They're not saved. They're not in faith. Let me give you an example. And then we're going to go on and show you some examples in the Bible. And this is not my example. I heard this from Fred Price. It's just, I don't want to improve on it. It's so good. Suppose right now that the back doors of the sanctuary opened and somebody came running down here and fell flat on their face. And they just were out. And we kind of all gathered around them, you know, and we, we checked them out. And, and suppose we... Had, doctor came down here and we had him examine him and they said this man is in the final throes of starvation so we you know we got to do something so we'd bring a chair over and have him sit there and kind of come to get him some water and we said we can't have this happen we can't have somebody in the middle of a service at faith christian center die of starvation so let's send out for some food. So we go out, either we go next here in the, in the fellowship hall if we have some, or go to McDonald's or wherever and just quick get something fast and bring it in. And we just laid a table out in front of him. And I just went over here, and he's sitting in the chair. And I said, sir, I want to ask you a question. See this food here? And he said, yes. He says, I said, do you believe that if you eat this food, it will keep you from starving? And he looks up at me and says, well, yes, pastor, of course I believe that if I eat this food, it will keep me from starving. I said, are you sure? If you really believe that if you eat this food, it will keep you from starving? Well, yes, pastor, I believe that if I eat this food, I will, I, he's making a good confession, isn't he? If I believe that I eat this food, it will keep me from starving. Do you really, in the depths of your soul, believe that if you eat this food, it will keep you from starving? Yes, Pastor, I believe with all my heart that if I, if I, ah, ah, 
and falls over right into the food. The doctor comes up again and examines him. I said, this man's dead. Now let me ask you a question. Is what he believed true? Then why did he die? He didn't eat the food! He believed the truth! And he spoke the truth! His believing was correct, but it wasn't enough! Faith, without some corresponding action on that faith, is dead. It doesn't produce anything. Let's go on and read. Getting quiet. Let's be thinking. So that's how demons can believe truth, but not be in faith. Do you not know, verse 20, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead, or some translations say useless. Now look at this example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Now if you go to Romans chapter 4, you'll see that it's so clear that he was justified by faith. And he believed God, and it was recompense, it was reckoned unto him as a righteousness, not for his sake only, but also for ours. He took God's promise that he would be have a son, and he would be the father of many nations. And he believed that. It took him a while to believe it, but when he believed it, nine months later, wow, there was Isaac. So how can this say he was by his works? Because then when Isaac got to be an adult, God spoke to him and said, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him up on a mountain where I'm going to tell you and I want you to worship me with him there and offer him as a sacrifice. And he took Isaac up and he laid him out on the altar. It's a long story, but he laid him out on the altar. This son that he believed God for, that God had promised him, Abraham didn't go to God and talk God into giving him Isaac. God came to Abraham and talked him into believing him for the son, and now God says, I want him back. And he took the knife up because God said to. And he's starting to bring it down, and the angel spoke to him and said, Stop. Now I know that you fear me, that you reverence me. I know it. Why? Not because you've told me because I've seen your act of obedience. Now, if you read on in Hebrews 11, which we won't have time to get into tonight, what you'll see is that it says in there that Abraham believed that if necessary, God would have raised him from the dead. Because Abraham had two inconsistent things from God. On the one hand, God was saying to him, this son, he made clear, because Abraham tried with another son. And God says, no, it's going to be through this son I've given you, only by believing me. Through this son, you're going to be the father of many nations. And now God tells him something to do that looks totally inconsistent. Most of us would have rebuked the devil. 
Be honest. And we would have picked which one we wanted. I want the son. I don't want the sacrificing stuff. But Abraham's faith was so strong in God that he would do whatever God said, whether it made sense to him or not, because all we know is he had not let go of the first promise. God had taken him 25 years to teach him that. All he knew is that if he drove this knife in this boy's heart, that somehow God was, it was God's problem how he solved that. Because all he knew is God was going to fulfill the promise he made even if he had to raise him from the dead. And the verse goes on and says, from which he received him back as a type. A type of what? God gave his son in our place. And he received him back from the dead. But the point here is this. God said, I now know you're in faith because of how you've acted based on what I said. Now look at what he goes on to say, because this is the important part. It's so important. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Look at verse 22. Do you not see that faith was working together with his works or deeds, and by works or deeds his faith was made perfect? The word perfect there means complete. In other words, he's saying this, that when you take what you believe and then you step out and act on it, now what you felt and was in your heart becomes released and completed. It's completed when you act on it. Let me show you an example of somebody that did this. Matthew Chapter uh, 14. Very familiar story. 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he, while he sent the multitudes away... And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid." Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, Jesus, said, come. And look what Peter did. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. There were 12 men in that boat that heard that conversation. There were 12 men that heard Jesus say, Come. Only one of them acted on what he heard. 
And I've gone over this to you before. To me, I just picture this in my mind. What must have been going through Peter's mind, because he was a professional fisherman. These are his boats. He's lived. He's grown up out on this water. He's grown up. And remember, there's a storm going on. That's, there's a storm going on. Though the boat's going up and down and the water's lapping over the boat. And Peter decides, because Jesus said, come, Peter decides to not just sit in the boat and say, I believe you, Lord. I believe your word. Your word is the truth. I believe what you said is the truth, Lord. I believe that if I got out of this boat, I could walk on the water. He could be there all the rest of his life. But Peter chose to act on what he believed. And when he acted, when he sat his blessed assurance on the gunnels of the boat and put his legs over the side, at some point, it's not just believing anymore. He's going up and down on this boat, but he's still resting on the boat. His faith is still in the boat. Even though his legs are over the side. There's some of you your legs are over the side. You got your eyes on Jesus. You're saying the right things. I believe your word. I believe your word. I believe your word. But your trust is still in the boat, which feels like the safest possible place. I mean, common sense tells you in a storm, you want to be in the boat. You want to be in a boat anyway. But especially in a storm that you're going through right now. So some of you are going through some, a storm and the safest face, place feels like it's in the boat. There was another story where they were in a boat in another storm. And these professional sailors, because that's what a fisherman is, were panicked because the storm was so bad. And the carpenter, the landlubber is asleep in the back of the boat. And they got to wake him up. And they, had, they accuse him by saying, don't you care about us? That we're going to drown? And it dawned on me, wait, Dave, you, some of you heard me say this. Why was Jesus not anxious? He didn't need the boat. Because when you can walk on water, it doesn't matter whether the boat goes down or not. It's just a more convenient place to take a nap. See, Jesus wasn't anxious about things happening because he actually trusted his father would take care of him. He actually took his father at his word and we know he did because he acted on it. And here was a man. Of course, he's the son of God. Here you've got a man. He wasn't born specially He was a rough, ruddy fisherman. And he's sitting still trusting in this boat. But at some moment in time, he made a decision, not an emotion, a decision that he was going to take his trust off of the boat and put it on the word come. Because I suggest to you, this story is not titled correctly. Because in my Bible it says, Peter walks on the water. He didn't walk on the water. He walked on the word come. Because you can't walk on water. But you can walk on God's word if he says come. And Peter stood up and now put his entire trust 
and safety, no longer in that natural boat that he could trust. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That boat was seen. And he stepped out on the word come, and Peter walked on the water. Now, you read on, he got in trouble, but he got in trouble because he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on the storm and the wind and the waves, and it said he began to sink. Now, let me ask you a question. This shows you how foolish our mind is when it comes to the things of God. Peter's reasoning is, once he stopped looking at Jesus' word and began to look at the circumstances, what happened was, he began to think. And whenever you think in a difficult situation, you're not going to think clearly. Because his thinking is, I can't walk on rough water. Well, we got a pond out here that's nice and calm. Let me take you out there when there's no wind blowing and watch you walk on that. What did the wind and the waves have to do with whether he could walk on it or not? It's not any harder to walk on rough water than smooth water. You can't walk on water naturally. But if the master gives his word and says, come, you can walk on anything as long as your eyes are on his word. Now, there are 11 other guys in the boat that were nice and dry. They could have gotten out the boat also, but they stayed where it was safer. So you're either in the boat where it's safe, sitting on the edge of the boat, thinking about whether to get out. You may have your feet in the water, testing it out. You don't test this out. You don't try walking on water, you'll sink. You either put all of your trust in his word or all of your trust in your own understanding. I think there's a proverb that talks about this. I think it's around chapter 3, isn't it? Because something like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, which means know him, and he will direct your path. Where some of us struggle is we believe the word, we've confessed the word, we've studied the word, we've read confessions, we're reading books about the word, we're reading the word itself, we're going over and over and over again, but there comes a point when you put all of your trust over on the word and no longer on whatever you've been trusting. You can't do both. You can't be trusting in the boat in his word. You're in one and the other. And when you step out on his word, your faith is released and it is perfected or it's completed. That's what James is saying there. It's when you act on it. Because when you act on it, you're, take, you're, releasing, you're releasing the faith that's in your heart and you're embracing it. You're literally stepping out on God's word. Amen. So faith is not hope. Hope's good. We need hope. Without hope, we have nothing to put our 
that faith can put substance to. Faith is not mental assent. Understanding the word, understanding what it says is good and important, but that's not faith. And faith is not believing the word. Believing is important. It's a step prior to faith. But believing alone is not enough. You can believe and sit in your boat. You can believe and hang on to the edge of that boat in the middle of a storm. It's when you take God's word and you step out on it and act as if God's actually told you the truth. (gasps) Because what you do proves what your trust is really in. God wants us to know what our trust is in because when we identify where we are, see, God will meet you where you are, not where you think you are. So if you think you're out walking on the water and you're still inside the boat hanging on to the life preservers, God's in the boat trying to help you. He's not out on the water where you think you are. Now, he let Peter get out there because he knew Peter wasn't quite where Peter thought he was either. Are you in the boat? Are you sitting on the side? Are you walking on his word? It's not hard to figure out. Just look at what you're doing. And that will tell you where you are.